Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, whenever you are. I'm John. This is the American Christian Podcast and Video. If you're looking for the American Atheist, you've gone too far. Stick around anyhow. I want you here. So, we have a lot that we're going to cover today. Um, we've been dealing with the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. So far, we've looked at monotheism in the Trinity, and we've looked at the first person, which would be the Father. Um, of course, that one isn't necessarily really questioned amongst theists, whether the Father is God or not, but I wanted to lay that out just to have it here. Um, so today, we're going to talk about the really controversial aspect of it, which is the second person, which would be Jesus, the Son. Is he God? Does the Bible say that he's God? Um, so that's the question that we're going to be asking today, and we're just going to be looking at some scripture to verify that. So we're going to sit, it looks like what I have planned is completely in the book of John, so we're sticking there. So, let's see here, so we started out by laying out a definition, we borrowed that from Dr. James White's book, The Forgotten Trinity, that would be... The way he explains it is, within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, he, there's three points that he makes there. There's one God, one being of God. There exists three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are co-equal, co-eternal. So they're three separate persons. That's what the second point would make. Three separate, distinct persons, distinct from one another. Yet, the third point, they are co-equal, co-eternal, the one being of God. So, the Father is fully God, the one God. Jesus is fully God, the one God. And the Holy Spirit is fully God, the one God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. So, today we're going to define the deity of the second person, the Son, Jesus. So we're going to start by looking at John chapter 1. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, verse 1 is usually broken up into three clauses. You have, in the beginning was the Word. The second clause would be, and the Word was with God. And then the third clause, and the Word was God. So, in the beginning was the Word. In the Greek, what you have is NRK in halagos. So, NRK would be in the beginning, and then ain is the imperfect form of I, me. So this points to continuous action in the past. So this is how we would translate it as the word was, but of course the English word doesn't really give it as much as the Greek does. It points to continuous action in the past. So from the first point we have, and then obviously halagos would be the word. So, in the beginning, the word is in existence. So from the point of the beginning, what the first point is already making is that the word is continuously from that point in the beginning in existence. So you go back five years, it was in existence. You go back ten years, it was in existence. You go back a thousand years, it was in existence. Go back as far as you want, the word was already in existence. So the word that's being mentioned here is eternal. So... um. 
when you go to verse 14, the word is identified as Jesus. It says the word became flesh. So clearly that would be what's being referred to when we're talking about the word. Um, so when you're dealing with the prologue of John, so it already seems just in that verse verse that the eternality is being pointed out. But as you go through and you see how he lays out the prologue, it becomes that much stronger. When you come to verse 6, for example, um, it talks about John the Baptist coming into existence. And it uses the term agenito for him, and which points to at a single point in time, it came into being. So he came in to being, he came into creation at one point in time, right? So it's already, we can see the contrast between the two. And now when we go down to verse 14, where the word becomes flesh, it uses of the word, now it uses that Arius form, agenita, to describe at a single point in time, at a certain specific point, the word comes into the flesh. So, but at that point that the word comes into the flesh, the word has already been in existence. It's been going back as far as you possibly can going back. It's been in existence. So, when you look at it from the whole picture, it is very clear that when he uses that term ain, it's on purpose to show the eternality of the word. And this gets stronger as you go. So the second clause, and the word was with God. So first off, the God that's in question here, we have to ask who that God is. Um, when we go to verse 18, so 18 says, I'm reading out of the ESV, by the way, for anyone who's interested. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the side of the Father. He has made him known. So there is a textual variant here um, when it says the only God. Um, some manuscripts read the only Son or the uh, only begotten Son, the monogenes uyas, versus the monogenes theos. Um, the oldest, most prominent yeah, the oldest uh, readings would be monogenes theos, which would be like unique God, the only God, the one God. But uh, it really doesn't matter which way you want to go, whether you want to say God or whether you want to say Son. It doesn't really make too much of a difference here. The point is that we know that this is being identified, that specific one is being identified with the Word. And then it's what does it say? It says, this one is at the side of the Father. So the God that's in question in the second clause of John 1.1, 1, 1, the one that he's at the side of would be the Father. So the word is at the side of the Father is the point that's being made. So there's a distinction between persons made, which is very, very needed. We need to point that out. There's a distinction between persons, but it also points to something a little more specific too. So the word was, and that term was, is that... Uh, is that imperfect form of I me again. So it's ain, which points to continuous action in the past. So the word was with God, prostantheon. The word was at the side of God or in the presence of God. We know that this God is being referred to as the Father. So he's at the side of the Father. How long has the Father been in existence? How long has God been in existence? We know that the scripture teaches God is eternal. He's completely 100% eternal. So going back as far as you possibly can, it says that the word was in relationship. So this becomes even stronger if we're talking about 
he's go back as far as you can, he had this relationship with God. Well, if he comes into creation at a specific point, then that would mean there is a starting point where that relationship with God starts, with the Father starts, right? So if we're talking about he has always consistently going back as far as you can without stopping, been in relationship with the eternal person of the Father, that would point to the eternality of the Word as well. So the eternality of the Word is very, very strongly defined already. And now we come to the third clause, and the Word was God. And you would think this would be enough to just shut people up, um, but it's not. And here's why. So, the Greek would read, Kai theos ein halagos. Um, for those that wouldn't understand that, so, basically the argument used by, say, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, in their translation of the scriptures, the New World Translation, it would translate this passage as, the word was a God. Their argument is because there's not a definite article in front of theos. So the definite article would be ha. Um, it would be, basically, we would know it as the word the. So basically, since it's not saying that the God is the word, or the word is the God, um, they say that it can be translated as a God. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about that. So if the definite article was placed there, what would that mean? So what it would do is it would make the word and it would make God interchangeable. What that means, essentially, is that the Father, the Son, would be the same person. So it would annihilate that second clause already because he's not with the Word, he's by himself at that point. Not only that, but it would annihilate the second verse, which was, he was in the beginning with God. So there is, it would take away any separations of persons. We would have modalism at that point. But we see already that the separation between the two persons is very, very specific. These aren't two of the same persons. So, if you threw the definite article in there, we would have heresy. We can't. So, the author could not have put the definite article in there. So, now we're asked, what does it mean without the definite article there? Could it be translated as a god? Um, sure, you could say it could be. But now, what would that imply? Seeing that already in verse 1, we have the eternality of the word specifically uh, put in place, what that would mean is that you had two eternal beings, two eternal gods. So that would mean that the monotheistic Jew that wrote it would have been trying to assume that there was two gods. But that's not monotheism, is it? That's polytheism. Um, so the scripture completely denies that aspect. Going back to John, or not John, going back to Isaiah 43.10, Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. Even going back to the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one. God is one. That's it. There is no other. Right? So, um, even when the Jehovah's Witness translation translates it like that, they don't get their theology either. They would have to come out with multiple beings of God, multiple gods. Um, but that 
again, being that we're dealing with the monotheistic Jewish writer, uh, would not that would not be prevalent. That wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't match his theology. So, what is the only other option? This is an option that's usually overlooked, but that would be qualitative. So, by nature, the word was God, would be the aspect that it brings out. And that's the only consistent way of actually reading this, and I'll explain. So, again, if we have the definite article, we have modalism. We have, there is no separations of persons, but this passage alone already shows there's a separation between persons. Um, we know that it shows its eternality, so because it shows its eternality, it's not a separate God, because being this is a Jewish writing, it would have to be monotheistic. So the only other option would be that by nature, the word was God. That its very nature was God. And then we see from verse 18 that there is another person who is by nature God. So, John 1.1 1, 1 makes it very specific. There's a separation of persons, and yet two persons being identified as one God. There's, no, there's not really a way around it, and it gets even clearer as you go along. So, uh, verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him not, was not anything made that was made. So, we talked about last week... When we dealt with the person of the Father, I'll pull up those notes real quick so I can go over there. When we dealt with the person of the Father, we talked about um, the aspect of creation and how that points to um, the only God. Only God can be creator. Actually, it wasn't from last week. It was from the week before. Let me see here. Yeah, so we looked at Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So there's only one God in creation, Yahweh. He's the only one who has anything to do with creation. But what do we see that is placed here in John 1, verse 3? It says, all things were made through him, the word. All things are made through the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. But there's only one person involved in creation. Or there's only one being. There's Yahweh. He's the only God who is involved in creation. So what would that be to say? It's very clear. So, we're going to continue. We're going to look at John 13, verses 18 and 19. It says, I am not speaking of all of you. This is Jesus speaking. I am not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will know that I am he. So, this phrase, that I am he, it's Jariego I me. Now, this is something that you'll usually see people will bring up when dealing with John 8, 58. Um, before Abraham was, I am. Ego, I, me. And we'll bring up that that points to the Old Testament, how Moses, uh, when Moses asks God, he says, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am that I am. I am. 
That's how he says, you will tell them, I am has sent you. In the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the uh, Jewish scriptures, it's translated as, ego I me, I am. Um, and we'll usually point to that, but there's actually way more proof, because then they'll say, well, you know, that that's kind of vague to throw it back that far, but there's actually way more evidence to say this is at least what John is implying when he puts this out here, because you see that this is something, this is a continuous thing that Jesus uses as that, and there are specific reactions that only make sense if that's what's being applied. So when we're looking here, Jesus says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. So when you look at Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, it says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So what is happening here is God is defining himself. He's saying there is none like me. And then he lists out an attribute about himself. So he's saying there is none like me. And this is the attribute that I'm using to prove that. And he says, yeah, so he says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that not yet, ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So what do we see here when Jesus says, I am telling you this, what is he telling them? He says, but scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about the betrayal of Judas. He's predicting what's about to happen. And he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place. So he's telling them that something's gonna happen before it happens that when it does take place, they will believe that I am he. So when you look at this, who is the one being, who is the one, if God says there is none like me and then says this, what would that say? It's saying that this one attribute that's specific to God, Jesus is applying to himself, right? It gets even more, it, it becomes even more specific when you look at, say, Isaiah 41, 22. Um, let them bring, so this is what's known in the theological world as the trial of the false gods when you're dealing from Isaiah 40 to about Isaiah 49. Um, basically, God is, this is where God starts listing off major attributes about himself and challenging the false gods, saying, you know, if you're really God, do these. Can you do these things? And one of the things that he brings up to these false gods is, hey, if you're really God, tell us the future. And that's what he does right here. Uh, 41, 22, let them bring, yeah, let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. So, the challenge that Yahweh is proposing to these false gods is that if you are truly God, 
tell us what's to happen, tell us what the future is. And then when we come from verse 41, and then we continue, and we finally make it to verse, or to chapter 46, and he says, look, I am God, I'm the only one who can do this, I'm the only one who can tell the future, I'm, there is none like me. This is the attribute that is being brought up here. He says, yeah, there is no other one that can do it. You want to prove that you're God? You want to prove that you're truly God? Tell me what the future is. So what we see here, when Jesus makes this note, and he says, I'm telling you now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. Who is it that he's saying? Who is it that he's talking about? Because from the Jewish understanding, this would be very clear. That I am he is clearly referring to Yahweh, that I am that one. That I am that one. So, and it gets clearer as, it gets clearer when you see more of a broader picture in John. So, John chapter 8, now people usually point to 58 and we're going to talk about that too, but there's actually even more in John chapter 8, specifically on that I am statement. When you look at verse 24, for example, so Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe ha Diego I me you will die in your sins. And then he comes to verse 58, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So you have this statement from John 24, and he says, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they ask him, Well, who are you? And he says, Exactly who I've been telling you from the beginning. I've been telling you this from the beginning, but you have not believed me. And then they go on and whatnot, and it eventually comes to, they ask um, about Abraham. They say, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet do you claim uh, to be greater than Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. So when we're even dealing with just the way that it's laid out, he's pointing to Abraham in a past time, and then he's pointing to, he says, I am, ego, I me, this is pointing to existence. Before Abraham was, I exist. Not I was in existence before Abraham was in existence, but I exist beforehand. So, then what happens? They pick up stones to stone him. Why are they picking up stones to stone him? Well, you see that he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then they think... They start listing it out. Well, you know, he just claimed that he was the light. He just claimed that he was before Abraham, not only before Abraham, but he is before Abraham was, I am. And why would a Jew, why would a Jew want to pick up stones to stone him at that point? We go to John chapter 10, verse 31 through 33. And it says, so here Jesus is once again in conflict with the Jews. And it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So we have another time that he is being, that they're wanting to stone him. And Jesus answers them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. There's something specific that they're understanding that he's talking about. 
he's making himself God. So when he takes these I am statements and they pick up stones to stone him, and then John makes a reference in John chapter 10 and says they pick up stones to stone him again. Well, what other time did they stone him? They stoned him when he used that I am statement. And they said the reason why is because you're making yourself God. It's very clear that's what Jesus is doing here. At least that's what John is implying that Jesus is doing here. At the very least. So the point he makes when he uses I am he is very specific. He's making a claim to deity. When you look at John 18 verse 5, for example, when Jesus is in the garden and they're coming to arrest him, they answer him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. Why did they draw back and fall on the ground just because he said, I am he? There would have to be... It, it points to a claim of deity. That's the only way that you can really understand it. I mean, just to say, oh, this is Jesus of Nazareth, while well, he's not known as a violent person, the most that you really have is there are some who claim that he's threatened to tear down the temple, but why would they? Why should they be afraid at that point? There's no reason to assume fear, unless he's making a specific claim to deity. Are we, you know, what other ways is there to really look at this? The only other, I mean, you can say, oh, well, it was dark, they fell. Come on. That's not, that doesn't work. The only way to understand this is he's making a claim to deity. When they said, especially that's what John is trying to draw out because he brings up, he says that I am he, Judas who betrayed him was standing there. And then John brings this back up again. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. So they're falling back on the ground has to do with Jesus saying, I am he. So there is a specific, there's something happening here. There's a claim that's being made that is putting them in a state of fear, or of some form of fear, I should say. Maybe not absolute trembling, but, you know, it clearly causes some form of fear because they draw back from him and then they fall. So let's look at one one more spot we're going to deal with for the book of John, and that's John chapter 20, and this is another big argument, and I don't really see how we just look past this. It doesn't really... It's very specific, and it's just hard to understand why you would be able to deny this. So John chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hand, and put your and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, or do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, "My Lord and my God." There is no reason to assume that he looks at Jesus and says, "My Lord," and then he looks up and he says, "My God." There's no reason to assume anything like that. It is very specific. It says, Jesus said to him, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And how does Jesus respond? So it's clear that Thomas calls him God. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 29, Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
So what's Jesus's reaction? He says, yeah, you're blessed. And even more blessed are those who will believe without seeing me. He doesn't uh, say, no, Thomas, you have it all wrong. I'm Lord, but I'm not God. I'm just a man like you. I'm just a prophet like you. I'm just Michael the Archangel. I'm, I'm a created being. I'm not God. He doesn't say that. No, he says, blessed are you. How can a mere creation look to Thomas and say, when he professes him to be God, how can he look at him and say, blessed are you? And blessed are all those who will believe this confession that you just made without seeing me. You can't. There's not any way to say that. You can't. This isn't something that can be said about Amir being. Otherwise, Thomas would be at fault for idolatry. And not only that, but Jesus, by accepting this form of praise, by accepting this title on himself and not saying anything against it, what is what would happen to that? Because then, at that point, Jesus is no longer a perfect substitute because he's allowing this idolatry. He's allowing himself to be put in a position of God. That would mean that he has his own sin now. That would mean that his death is no longer doable for us. And now we no longer have a sinless um, intermediary. We no longer have a sinless high priest who can actually make an atonement for us. The only way that you can look at this is to say, yep, when Tom calls, yeah, when Thomas calls him God and Jesus accepts that, what does that mean? That Jesus is God. He has been claiming this. And that is very specific, very vital in understanding who Jesus is because he says, blessed are those who believe who have this same confession of faith and yet haven't seen. So the blessing is those who have this confession, that Jesus is Lord and God. So, we're going to cut that there. There is absolutely way more. Um, there is way more to the aspect of deity for Jesus, and we may even, I, I imagine we will cover more on this in this series, just to, uh, just to have this here. But, uh, it's clear that the author of John is making a deity claim for Jesus. And that's the main point that I wanted to drag out in this video. Clearly, John is saying that. And clearly, if you actually assume, um, which I do, that the scriptures are God-breathed, and that the scriptures are, then that would mean that this is what the Holy Spirit is implying. And this is what Jesus said, truly said. Now, you can start arguing, and in order to really escape it, you have to start denying that Scripture truly is God-breathed. You have to start denying that uh, Scripture is sufficient. And that's not, it's not a Christian belief. It's not, it's not really wise to go to that position. But that's for another time. So we'll just end it off there, and we'll say... If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can find me at uh, anchor.fm slash American Christian. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash American Christian. 
Um, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Podcasts, Radio Public, and of course you can find it on YouTube. So all over the place now. So go look for me. Um, like the podcast on Facebook to keep up with the show. Uh, share it with your friends. Um, like, share if you're watching it on the video. Like it, share it, put it out there. Um, yeah, so if you want to contact me with any questions, comments, um, you can do that by leaving a voice message at anchor.fm slash American Christian, or you can message the Facebook page. Um, yep, so that's that. Um, thank you for listening. I'm Jonathan Kiewit, and this is The American Christian.